Hello and welcome to the new podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and in this podcast series we're going to explore issues to do with science, technology and innovation which sit at the boundaries of government, parliament, industry and the research community. Each week uh, we'll have a short interview of 15 or 20 minutes with an expert guest and we'll follow a specific issue each month interspersed with the occasional one-off discussion on topical issues. This month we're focusing on batteries and new battery technology and to explore this with me uh, is Jackie Murray, Deputy Challenge Director of the Faraday Battery Challenge. Maybe we could start off by uh, you saying what actually is the Faraday Battery Challenge? So the Faraday Battery Challenge, so in simple terms it's a, it's a project, it's a £274 million project. It's the lead, well it's the biggest of all the industrial strategy um, challenges as we call them. Um, but in reality, it's government saying, right, we're going to go on a mission, we're going to leap forward. Mm-hmm. So we have um, sort of focused on innovation and research uh, all the way through from uh, the laboratory level, you know, creating some of the most amazing electrochemical um, uh, systems at sort of gram level, all the way through to uh, ton level where we've got the UK Battery Industrialisation Centre taking prototypes and running them at full manufacturing rate. So you've got um, prototype batteries, you know, manufacturing runs and can train for that manufacturing. So the overarching goal of it is to make the UK world leading in battery Mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually what's what's really interesting is is that lightning rod that it creates for discussions about onshoring uh, gigafactory production back to the UK. Not, not competing necessarily against other countries, but actually working with and attracting some of those big names and batteries yeah. that are out there right now. Yeah. Um, why do we need a new generation of batteries? What's wrong with the current generation of batteries? That's a lovely segue. So actually what we do in this mission that we're on is really take a problem ownership. Mm-hmm. So instead of being government and knowing the answers, mm-hmm. what we do is a well, scientists and engineers, that probably explains this. So we have eight key goals. Mm-hmm. And actually, those eight key goals are technical. Okay. So we are, and I'm going to have to remember them all off the top of my head, uh, we're really focused on reducing cost, increasing energy density, which is your range of your battery, uh, your power density and fast charging, mm-hmm. so that's how, how fast you can go, but also how fast you can charge, um, safety, uh, recycling, mm-hmm. first life, uh, predictability, so how you know, trying to catch up 120 years of internal combustion engine knowledge yep. into electrochemical systems in batteries, um, and also the length of life that the, those batteries will last. You know, we know that we need 10 years, yep. 8 to 10 years minimum. So that people are really reassured that actually these are going to work for consumer lifestyles that we want. Um, and it's this transitional approach. It's, it's really getting the UK to transform yep. um, and, and, and be at the cutting edge of battery technology. Okay. So the battery challenge was launched uh, a while ago as part of the industrial strategy. Um, how's it going? So um, how's it going? So what we've seen over the last two and a half years is a massive shift. When we started, lots of the questions were like, "Wow, do we really need them? You know, what, is this really going to make a difference?" And actually, people have started to understand. I think um, they're actually EVs. Um, they use much less energy than the energy contained in a fuel in an internal combustion engine. So they're very efficient at acceleration, but they're also efficiently converting energy 
when you're cruising, whereas an internal combustion engine is sized around its acceleration. So you want a fast car, mm -hmm. you get one with a bigger engine. And actually then it's hard for those engines to be efficient when they're cruising, whereas an EV is designed for both of those. Um, the challenge is it's new technologies and new duty cycles, new mm. infrastructure. Um, but actually what we've seen from the government is we've seen you know, everything from 80 million being invested in the conversion technologies that take the batteries uh, and turn it into uh, motion in a car, so power electronics, drives and motors. We've seen 274 million into the battery technology itself, but we've seen well over a billion into the infrastructure piece. Mm. And actually what you're seeing is changes in consumer worries so um, always it's about cost and range um, but actually the range anxiety is really moving into charging anxiety as people own these cars and, and enjoy them uh, they start to realize that actually they don't have to stop and charge for for the whole hour yeah. uh, they can stop and charge for 15 minutes to get to where they need to go when they get there they can plug it into a normal socket even uh, and leave it to charge so actually in some ways it starts to get easier than actually having to take it to a petrol station <laughs> to refuel. So we're seeing real different um, sort of behavioural changes, but we're also seeing a different acceptance of them as people get used to them yeah. and see them in numbers. Yeah. And who uh, in the system uh, is making decisions about the different suite of investments you have in, in the battery challenge? And how does that process work? So I think there's this overarching um, miss conception that this is you know it might happen or it might not so that decision making is happening now mm -hmm. so if you look at a, if you look at the fact that by 2030 car companies expect to need to be hitting an average of 30 grams per kilometer driven right. uh, for every car and every time you put put a car on the, on the market you have to register it and you have to register what it's doing uh, and what its co2 emissions will be Two and a half years ago, we were still arguing over what those targets should be. That's gone. Um, yeah. Car companies take 42 months, something like that, and invest a billion quid into designing a car. And it has to be manufactured and being sold for 10 years. Yeah. So if we're in 2019 now, and we need to hit 30 grams, somewhere around 30 grams per kilometre driven by, by 2030, then all car companies have to be designing cars that can achieve that. Otherwise, they're designing for fines uh, and consumers kicking back potentially. Yeah. And I think that's what's changed. I think you know the Greta Thunbergs of this world, and the, mm. you know, I think there's a real momentum around climate change that people really, really do believe this is a massive issue. And the science is telling us we've got five to ten years to really make a change now. Yeah. So actually, this is one of the things you can do. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, and that's why for us we feel very responsible in terms of making sure these are the right decisions for people to be making, mm. um, and making sure the technology really does think through that environmental, sustainable success point rather than just trying to, yeah, change. Um, and so that you know things like hybrids um, and plug-in hybrids, you know they are a transition point. But yeah. actually, very rapidly, we're seeing the EVs really take off. So I guess the, my question is, if uh, if this is happening anyway, and the car companies are doing this anyway, what what is the role of government in this? Why why do we need a challenge? So I guess we're really clear on that. Actually, um, for us, it's it's 
when you've got something so disruptive going on, mm. you get quite a few market failures. So actually investors, for example, and others, it can be difficult for people to invest because, um, I mean, the breadth of what we're talking about in batteries, it sounds simple. You know, what's that answer going to be for automotive or aerospace mm. or marine mm. or whatever? But actually, for every duty cycle, there can be bespoke uh, solutions, and there may need to be bespoke solutions. Mm. So what government does is act as this central hub. One, to de-risk and accelerate for the UK's benefit mm -hmm. some of that um, learning. So um, we want to generate IP here, mm -hmm. but actually we want to manufacture here because manufacturing IP as well is really important. And we want to anchor car companies that are building these 1.7 mm. million cars in the UK every year uh, and the 2.5 million engines, because actually mm. propulsion is the UK's USP as you were. Mm -hmm. So actually, how do we anchor those? How do we de-risk? Yes. How do we get them to move faster? So actually, that there's economic benefit back to the UK and knowledge. So actually, when you're trying to transition and there's lots of different technologies, the more people that understand um, what's behind that and how we're going, you know, the, it always amazes me uh, um, when we tell people that car companies have got to be designing now yes. for 2030. You know, people go, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so actually that understanding, that that yeah. sort of Team UK, we've, we, we know the direction yeah. we're going, uh, sort of approach really helps build those solutions in that will really yeah. solve that problem. And you pulled a little bit of this out in what you just said, but uh, clearly the, the government has decided batteries is one of the big things it's going to invest in in the industrial strategy. So there clearly is a... Uh, a reason why we think that this is a good thing to do in the UK, that we, you know, we're not just simply going to buy this technology in from another country. So what is it about the UK that makes it a good thing to invest in? So let's unpack that a few a few pieces. So there's, okay. there's, there's um, so yes, we have 856,000 people employed in automotive in the UK. Okay. Um, they're in, that, that's, that normally the productivity in those jobs is almost double normally. Uh, most jobs, so it's a good thing to invest in as a sector. Mm -hmm. um, we know that actually we invented the lithium-ion battery in Oxford University in 1980, uh, and we have continued throughout to invest in universities uh, into battery research. So one of the key pillars for Faraday is the Faraday Institution, uh, and those people interested can sign up to Faraday Insights, which is a publication by them on the latest technology, so a bit of a plug for that, but if you want to know more, that's what we're doing. So mm -hmm. that that institution has this role of bringing together um, all the research in the UK and getting people to work to to, together to collaborate. Um, and actually what we've done is we've sponsored nine really big projects. Uh, and that those projects are one looking to accelerate uh, those answers, that learning towards those eight key targets, mm. as I told you, um, as well as actually the, 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 the sort of cross-cutting things from recycling to um, knowledge to economic insights to really doing the horizon scanning for us. So that's, that's one of our pillars. Um, the other thing the UK has is 25,000 people employed in motorsport. Um, okay. The last figures I saw, it was about a £9 billion industry. Yeah. So if automotive guys are there designing for the next 10 years... Uh, motorsports don't work like that. <laughs> they work with huge budgets, yep. and therefore they are utterly focused on performance. 
uh, and they tend to have crazy deadlines but they're also exceptionally focused on quality so that you get reliability in the races. Yeah. Um, but they're also data companies. So every Formula One, you know, you get terabytes of data off each of those cars. Every Formula E, you're getting terabytes of data. Yeah. So the motorsport companies are the ones that can be really agile and rapid. So we have 88 million uh, allocated into projects for collaborative R&D. Okay. And that's everybody from 3M, uh, the big materials company, Johnson Matthey, through to spin-outs from universities, academics, um, and lots of SMEs in between, and micro-businesses, because this is really emerging technology. And so for the government to de-risk, that's really important. Yeah. And then this final piece on, on the Faraday battery, uh, the, sorry, the UK Battery Industrialization Centre, that's a really exciting piece. That's really playing to UK manufacturing strengths. So what you have in, in those three pillars is a real uh, uh, leap forward, but it's built on these solid foundations. Yeah. And the UK came to this point because we've been working, the Auto Council is all the UK big players in automotive, working with government, and they just saw this cliff edge mm. of regulation coming. Mm. And I think two and a half years ago, there was probably a, a, an argument more around London was going to go electric because of air quality. Um, uh, and there was lots of to and fro about hybrids and what the target should be. But actually in two and a half years, that, that, that social movement in climate mm. change, mm. we don't see that anymore. We see all companies really focused on full EVs yeah, okay. um, and hybrids as a transitional stepping okay. point. Although we've talked about the UK system, the um, how does that link in with international collaboration for Faraday? So... Um, so automotive guys are looking for big companies that can supply uh, and meet their liabilities and, and warranties and uh, all their due diligence checks. So you are looking at those big companies mm -hmm. uh, and they can be US or they can be you know, the Teslas of this world or they can be um, uh, a lot of the, the, the Far Eastern, the, the Toshiba, Panasonic, LG Chem um, uh, and a plethora of others. Uh, and actually, so we are looking at attracting them to the UK. So it's actually really, really clearly giving messages around the expertise and skills in the UK, the appetite for batteries, um, uh, the fact we're ranked fourth in the world for global as a global on the global innovation index. Mm. So actually, there's lots of reasons to come that we've decarburized uh, the UK energy mix faster than anyone else in in, in Europe. And so actually we have a very green energy mix because it takes a lot of power uh, to dry batteries and to, to manufacture yeah. them. So actually all in all, when you're manufacturing something that is a, a inherently an environmental solution, it's this sort of systems thinking you need to be thinking about. And so that's the sort of inward international piece. Yeah. Um, I'm just back from Bolivia. Okay. Okay. And Bolivia is uh, a country with a lot of lithium under its salt flats. Um, and actually, there I'm working with the Foreign Office and the Overseas Development Agency around actually how could we help um, countries like Bolivia uh, better extract uh, in an environmentally conscientious way, uh, in an economically beneficial way, uh, things like lithium mm. in greater quantities as that demand really starts to pick up. Okay. So, so my conversations always tend to be around uh, sort of the international piece because actually all our car companies are international companies with global, global supply chains. Yeah. And so actually our job really is looking at how to get EVs here. We have a gigafactory in Sunderland. Yeah. Uh, and actually what we also really want is to make sure that the, su the supply chain into them 
is, is playing to all UK strengths. So yeah. I'm a steel worker by background. Spent 10 years in extraction metallurgy. And for me, I know the UK has phenomenal skills yeah. in extraction metallurgy from uh, Ben Nevis and the Lockerbus smelter for aluminium, which is a hydro-powered aluminium smelter up there making very high-quality aluminium, through to the Cluddock refinery for nickel just north of Swansea. So we have skill sets here yes. uh, and, and opportunities here that we really need to be thinking about. And we have even bigger than our automotive sector is our chemical sector. And if a gigafactory can land into the UK, you're looking at a £4.8 billion a year opportunity okay. for our chemicals industry to supply it. So you can see these sort of numbers coming from No, there. absolutely. And who are our competitors? Who, who is going to try and steal that business from us? Oh, so I can tell you now that the rest of Europe would really like uh, Gigafactory. And actually, uh, Poland and Hungary, for example, mm-hmm. uh, both have major investments going in. And we have uh, North Vault up in Norway as yeah. well. So actually, um, what's interesting is when we started it was it was looking at can we can we compete could we be uh, can we can we go up against Europe and actually attract a gigafactory to the UK um, I think now the volume predictions when you start to look at it um, they're changing and getting bigger and bigger so actually uh, what you're now looking at is the demands are so high for all of Europe um, and that's because actually marine mm. rail mm. Um, off highway mining equipment, um, gosh, uh, static storage, th- they're all demanding batteries. Yeah. Yeah. So the volume piece that this sort of lens that we sort of started this program out of has already started to really mushroom. So in our portfolio as Caterpillar and uh, JCB and others, you know, we, we have um, so many motorsport, but the motorsport guys, because the power demands might actually be more synergistic rather than volume automotive uh, with an off-highway or mining piece. So we're already seeing this demand really pick up. So for us, um, the challenge is how to onshore and not ship in. Yes. So, um, and the reason for that, and the reason that's so important is because um, if you're going to ship from the Far East, for example, um, actually you have so much value then in train en route to you, you know, for weeks. Yeah. that actually uh, that becomes so expensive, not only from a, um, a cash point of view, you know, how much money you've got being shipped around the world at any one time, but actually the cost of that. So shipping battery materials, they're very high, um, so they, they, they react with moisture very easily. Yeah. Um, so they're very expensive to ship anyway, um, and you risk uh, quality losses. Um, but actually... You know, shipping these uh, materials that are highly energetic uh, is becoming considered more and more of a safety risk. You yes. get on an aircraft and they yeah, mention yeah. lithium yeah, ion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So actually, the standards and the requirements for shipping these things are also changing. So even the packaging requirements are going to get more and more and more rigorous and more and more expensive. Yeah. So this onshore piece is really important to us. Okay. Um, and I guess the inevitable question at, at this time... Um, how does Brexit, if at all, uh, alter what uh, the thinking of government is behind the, the challenge? So Brexit's a challenge, particularly for our automotive customers. You know, it's the, um, it's the impact of those global supply chains and all the ins and outs of those, uh, you know, uh, of, of all the paperwork and, the, and, the, and anything that puts them on stop is a challenge. What Brexit has done, I think, is introduce... Um, a feeling that we need to do something. So actually uh, that we need to work as a UK uh, team, for want of a better word. 
lots of competitors in that team. Um, but actually, everybody is really pulling because this is so important mm. that actually we, we really do start to see the power of priorities. So yesterday, uh, we ran a cross-government briefing session on batteries. Uh, and actually, we had so many people there that we ran out of space okay. and were turning people away. And that's just inside government. Yeah, yeah. And so what you see is you start to see people are understanding this priority. Uh, and, and having something like Brexit as a thing that shakes up the status quo, actually what we're seeing is more people perhaps being a little bit more open-minded. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, 3M might correct me, but 3M is a big materials company and they have a very big, uh, impressive um, uh, R&D budget. But they're working in one of our projects. They don't need government money. Yeah. And actually it's a small part in one of the projects. What they want is to understand this bigger piece. And we're starting to see more and more of that. People perhaps that would have not wanted or needed or felt they should be involved in any way in, in something outside of their own internal strategy, starting to really work with us. So a lot of the things you see as published with the APC, the Advanced Propulsion Centre, and the Faraday Institution, uh, actually studies explaining uh, more and more of this detail so that companies can really uh, find that hook for their own strategies to work with us. Brilliant. Um, final question, what does success look like? Imagine a, a five years' time, um, the you Faraday that, Challenge is going to deliver what? <laughs> <laughs> so, for each of the streams, we expect to see. So, um, we expect to see a steady stream of discoveries, of, of, of uh, sort of su fundamental science that pushes forward our understanding and what industry can actually do. Um, we look to see all our collaborative partners in our R&D projects um, growing. So we measure actually how much uh, they've benefited from being in projects with us and how much uh, they're growing on that. And so we have a huge swathe of metrics. So Innovate UK, full stop, hot sponsor innovation in this mid-TRL range, and we expect to get some mm. about £7.5 back for every pound spent. And actually Faraday projects will be monitored the same thing. Um, and then we have the, the manufacturing piece, you know, that, that the, the UK Battery Industrialisation Centre is a great place for big battery companies to come and actually test out their next generation uh, without interrupting their continuous processing lines, which is very, very costly in battery terms. So every stage we know what we're after, fundamental science breakthroughs, growth of SMEs, growth of mid-size and large companies in this space, increased R&D spend into batteries and the, the surrounds, um, looking to see more investors, private investment into those companies. You know, If we're making people apply to us and assessing them technically and financially, um, then actually the due diligence that we're doing, we, we want to also see that you know, going out and, and building those companies further. And we do, you know, there's some success stories already. And then we're also really keen to see that gigafactory investment. Mm. Um, that gigafactory investment obviously requires more money. Um, potentially from the government, you know, you're talking a two billion pound investment for a gigafactory, something like that, mm. a 200 acre site with a major grid connection. So these are not simple things to, to land, they're not simple things to run, uh, but actually being in Europe and being the one with a gigafactory already that's been running for the last 10 years, actually there's some really good strengths to build on. Um, 
going back to the CRD, it's some success stories. I mean, some actually quite nice to put some tangible stuff in. So Oxus Energy is probably the world leading um, company in lithium sulfur batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, they've announced a couple of months ago, actually, um, a 20 million pound factory going into Kenfig Hill, just outside of Port Talbot, about a million miles away from the Ford engine plant in Progend. Um, we have companies like Ilica, which is a solid state battery. Uh, Ilica, you know, they, they've expanded their factory, an additional four million pounds worth of, you know, and this, these are small businesses. These are not, mm. you know, mm. big. Uh, you've seen people at Johnson Matthey put demonstrator plants to the tune of f- far more millions of pounds mm. into Clitheroe. So you have some really interesting sort of, you can sort of see these things growing. Uh, and that's our metrics. Our metrics are all based around, actually, are we hitting our technical targets, our projects and portfolio moving towards those technical targets? Are you putting UK companies technically into those places, but also are we gaining the success that they need to grow? Brilliant. Jackie Murray, thank you very much. Um, next week, we'll be talking to Neil Morris, who is the chief executive of the Faraday Institution uh, and exploring uh, what they're doing in this whole area. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or download it from the Foundation for Science and Technology website. Thanks for listening and goodbye.